Well, hello and welcome to this episode of Banking Out Loud. I'm your host today, Nancy Ozawa. And it's that time of the year when managers and teams are beginning to think about those upcoming performance reviews. Maybe it's middle of year, maybe it's the end of the year, maybe it's every single month in some cases. We start to think about promotions. We start to think about maybe a few that maybe need a little bit more constructive feedback or unfortunately maybe need to be placed on performance improvement. But either way, we need to have that performance review and it's very important to have. And no matter where you fall on that spectrum, you need a strategy. Whether you're a high performer, whether you're the first time you're doing a review or it's the 30th time you're doing a review, you really need to have a strategy and you need to prepare. So today we're going to discuss the latest that's going on with tips and trends and anything we can think of for preparing for these performance reviews. Whether you're an employee being reviewed or a manager doing the review, I've invited Laurie Battaglia, the CEO of Aligned at Work, a leadership development consulting firm that specializes in bringing great leadership together with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Laurie has over 35 years, and most of it's in banking and investments, which is very critical for our audience. She has helped solve lots of people problems. So welcome, Laurie. Thank you. It's an honor to be here today. You truly understand that people are the heart and the soul of this business, especially here in banking. Oh, they really are. And I think sometimes we miss that. We get focused on the profit end of the business and we forget to balance it out with the people end of the business. Definitely. We don't have those people working in the right way and enthusiastic, then that translates right over to our customers. It surely does. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Before we jump into performance reviews, why don't you share just a little bit more about your background? Yes. So my background is 37 years in banking and finance. I started in the savings and loan industry way back when, the thrift industry, and spent about 20 years there in smaller savings and loans. One of them got taken over by the federal government. And that was my moment of maybe someday I want to have my own business because I saw that organizations were either all focused on profit or all focused on people, but they weren't balancing it very well. And some of the work that I actually had to do back then to get folks ready for when we were sold and they had to re-interview for positions, some of the work that I figured out how to do back then in the early 90s, that was, still lives on in my work today. When people come in for career coaching, I usually am dealing with executives and leaders and they don't know how to really brand themselves and package themselves up to get out there in the market. And of course, networking is important and all those kinds of things. So there's an end of my business where I do some of that work one-on-one with leaders and executives. Mostly what we do is we've realized that to get people really truly engaged, you've got to have that great leadership and it all comes down to the culture of the organization. And we help people shift and build positive cultures of belonging so that people actually want to work there. And it looks very different these days. The one thing I talk a lot about is how leaders need to shift their perspective and the way they approach leadership because people's expectations have changed so much that we just can't lead the way we used to. I'm a baby boomer. And I think that we've put our rules down on Gen X pretty well so that Gen X leaders and baby boomer leaders have a way of looking at things and how things were very predictable in some cases and the way we lead, the way we manage. And so it's just not that way anymore. 
And I do think that goes over into performance evaluations. People have different expectations when they sit down at the desk or the or the Zoom desk with someone and do their performance evaluation. Absolutely. I don't think we're working for one company for 40 or 50 years. It's We've got a lot more options. People move. So you're right. You hit a very key point that you want to be a leader that instills that it's fun and you enjoy and you're engaged in your organization. And and it's critical during that performance review. That is one of the times these honest conversations can happen. Yes. And they can make or break the relationship. You know, th- people are under high guard, I guess I would say. When you sit down to hear the feedback, you're hoping that it's pretty positive and wondering that maybe it isn't going to be positive. And the fewer conversations you have during the year, the more of a surprise it is. And we always say there shouldn't be any surprises, but you still hear it. Or it's the way somebody phrases something that sticks with that employee. And there's so so much pressure on leaders to say it right, say it well, um, and to form the relationship that moves us forward together rather than making somebody feel like, well, I have no hope here and I'm going to have to leave. Exactly, exactly. And you've you know been in this banking industry for a while. So you've peeked behind the curtain, I think is the oh, term definitely. that you've used and seen these. Let's kind of start at the, the beginning because you kind of teed up, um, you know, that performance reviews aren't the same as they were before. Right. What is the current state? Some organizations I've worked with, they only do it once a year. Some do it every month and then it's a bigger one, half year and then the annual. What is that state of what today's reviews look like? You know, I think they're all over the place because we have a lot more options and everybody hasn't kind of signed up for just this one way to do it. So you'll find organizations that, like you said, do it once a year, and they're not really having conversations along the way during the year, unless somebody, shall we say, gets in trouble. If they're not doing something right, and it's bad enough that they feel like they have to talk about it during the year, then it might get talked about. Or someone might get a, just keep doing what you're doing, which I'm going to go all boomer here. So in my day, just keep doing what you're doing was a real positive pat on the back. It was like, you're, you've got it right. Just keep on going. That's another changing expectation that we'll get more specific with our feedback. But I'm finding that some organizations a little while back, I want to say that was probably, boy, COVID has made time so weird for us. Probably eight to 10 years ago. Yeah, probably about 10 years ago there was a movement afoot to get rid of performance evaluations and have quarterly reviews with people, quarterly performance conversations. And where are you going? Where are you heading? And the idea was to take the surprise away to make it a normal thing to talk about it rather than, oh, good heavens, here we go. It's either mid-year or end of year. And there still are those mid-year, end of year formal conversations that many people have. But everybody's kind of all over the place. There's not really one right way to do it. As with many things, there's several wrong ways to do it. But there's not one right way these days or one way that organizations have signed up for. And maybe it differs by the culture of the organization or the type of workers that you're um, interacting with. Maybe some need it more than others. Definitely. So. If I'm one of those folks and I'm about to know I have a meeting with my boss and sit down, um, I think in the past, we used to think that you walked in and the boss would tell you everything. Yes. 
And nowadays, you know, I think the worker needs to be part of this two-way conversation and, you know, be able to say what they want to share about themselves and uh, also get and ask questions to get what they want. But I'm I'm sure you've peeked behind the curtain a lot more than I have. (laughs) Um, So I really wanted to see what you would recommend if I'm that worker getting ready for my either mid-year, my end of the year discussion with my manager what are some of the steps or tips that I should be doing to actually prepare? Let's see if I'm actually doing them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as a leader, I preferred, and the last two organizations, I mentioned the 20 years in savings and loans, but then I went to Vanguard Mutual Funds, and then I ended up at Wells Fargo for four years. So I kind of experienced all kinds of different financial organizations. And the two bigger ones had a very specific process to go to, and both used a self-appraisal process first. Now, earlier in my career, we thought that the boss would know everything that we did, remember every project that we worked on, and they should know as much as I do about what I'm doing. And I've realized how, oh, it's a recipe for disaster. They don't, they shouldn't, and you know what you've done, so why not document that? And I learned a long time ago that I could probably influence the outcome of my own performance evaluation by the way I wrote my goals up and how closely I linked those to organizational goals or my boss's goals. So if my leader was getting judged on a certain thing, then I wanted to make sure that I was supporting that. And it took me a while to learn that too. I Actually, this is kind of funny. There was an old book called How to Work for a Jerk. Love the title. (laughs) And- No names or places will be mentioned, but at that point, I thought I was working for a jerk. So I bought that book, and when I read it, it did a great job of saying, yeah, I'll bet you work for somebody like this, this, or this. And then it got around to, and your job is to make the boss look good. Your job is to make sure that that leader is um, hitting their goals, and you're hitting your goals, and so on and so on. And when I flipped that switch from the victim of the jerk to well, I have some control over this. That was a mind-blowing moment. Um, I didn't expect that out of the book. <laughs> I wanted sympathy. Um, and I got some, but not not. it was a, a mind switch. So when, when you do the self-performance, the self-appraisal on your performance, the idea is write down your goals and what you, and how you went about it and what you accomplished and by when. And me as a leader receiving that, I was ever so grateful that they refreshed my memory on what they did four quarters ago or three quarters ago or or even two quarters ago, because most of us remember what just happened or what's happening right now, but we don't really have the capacity to remember for 10 people exactly what each each of the 10 were doing. And, And do you find that it's not just put down all the things that you did that met their goals, but anything additional that's outside of your normal job description yes. that kind of helps to show you're flexible and a little more valuable? Yes, absolutely. I think those things are important. And for a long time, I was one of those people that volunteered for things. Um, and one of the articles, we talk about volunteering and being on ERGs and BRGs. So ERGs being um, employee resource groups where you get together with others like you. Let's say there's a women at work group or something like that, or there might be um, a Latin group uh, or an LGBTQ group or something like that. 
And then there are business resource groups where people from all kinds of diverse backgrounds come together around a given goal. Way back in the day, I think we called those um, quality circles, I think way, way back in the day, but now through the lens of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I find that sometimes what would happen is some people would get so busy in that volunteer work that they were perceived to be not really doing their jobs, but things that they were paid to do. So there's always that fine line balance there, you know, but more organizations these days are actually giving people either recognition, ideally dollar recognition. Sometimes there's a stipend for leading an employee resource group because it does pull away from the things that you do and it flows over oftentimes to your personal time. And organizations weren't really used to paying people to do that work. And yet it's a critical piece of keeping people engaged and involved and making them feel like their voices are heard. And, you know, I find that balancing act between doing your job and then these extra ERGs, as you refer to them, to me, it comes back to your goals. Mm -hmm. Have you met your goals for what you've said you've done? And then that can be the gravy on the top. And then that shows that you've strived and achieved that balance between those two entities. Yes. That's assuming we've had a conversation about goals. Yes. Assuming that. Yeah. Because a lot of times we have, you know, having worked in banking and finance, especially the last 17 years, very metrics driven, very, very metrics driven. So you could look and see the number. And then the idea was, what's the line of sight from my role to that goal, that number, that metric? And do I really, and are we just counting to count something? Because I come out of the learning and development and leadership development world. Ultimately, that's where I ended up after I got out of the operations. And, and I, I sometimes thought we were trying to put numbers to something that was more about shifting thinking and things you couldn't necessarily count. On the other hand, I now have the skill of putting numbers to anything. So I can, I can tell you how to count and how to, how to make sure that where you are now is like that you want to get a, a higher result through, let's say, leadership training. I now know how to measure the ROI on that, um, which is a, it's a, it's a skill. <laughs> Definitely. Is. And not something that you typically come into. So yeah, it's, it's a good idea to be keeping track throughout the year of what you did, what you accomplished, what else you did as extracurriculars, and ultimately how that ties up to the business goals. That's where I see people really get off track, especially earlier in their career. They're doing a lot, but they're not really meeting a business goal. And they're very, very busy. And they think they should get recognized for that. And that's not what the leader's looking at. Yeah. It's not work harder. It's work smarter or work more. Yes. So you, you mentioned something I want to circle back because I think a lot of people struggle with this is you mentioned having your goals or your activity at, tied to what the leadership or your manager's goals are or how they're being evaluated. How do you open the conversation to get that information? Because I think a lot of people go, oh, that's that that person's information. I shouldn't ask. Right. But Right. Really, you're, you're saying it. they need to be having that conversation. So how does a worker get that conversation started? They do. Yeah, that's a tough one, because ultimately, in a perfect world, the leader cascades it down. And there's no that that's the other thing that's much more in our workplaces now is open transparency about decision making salaries, all the things that we didn't used to talk about. Yes. So if you're working for somebody who was kind of raised in the we don't talk about those things kind of perspective, then it's a little more difficult to open up the conversation. But I think you can always go in curious. 
I think that for me as a leader, I like nothing better than when someone came in and said, I'd like to get ahead in this organization, whatever that means. What conversations are already being had about me, if any? Where do I need to fix the perception of me if, if indeed I'm off track? And hey, leader, how can I help you get to your goals? I like nothing better than that. And the feedback shifted and changed. Um, I remember one person that reported to me, and he had a very active life outside work, very involved in his church, um, really known as a leader overall, but said, you know, when I come to work, it's I don't want to lead people. I want to do this role, and I want to do it really well. So my conversations with him were a lot around just keep doing what you're doing. That really worked well. That really worked well. Then he shifted and he said, I want to get into leadership here. And I said, ah, well, now our conversations will change because the feedback gets pointed at where you know that person wants to get to and what they're doing that supports that goal or might derail them from it. Right. So opening up the conversation with the leader, I think it comes from a place of curiosity and saying, I want to support you. I'm curious, what do you get graded on? And I don't know if I'd do that in my performance review time, but I'd have it at a separate time. Because I think, depending on your leader, your leader might think, oh, you're just trying to, A, butter me up, um, B, uh, spend time on that when really we should be spending this time on you. I don't have much time today. You know, so there's a lot of things that get in the way. But I think in a regular one-on-one would be a great time or when we're setting goals for 2024. That's where I was going to go. Yeah. Whatever period, that's the time to have that. What are your goals? How do I support you in those goals? And sometimes it's overt and sometimes it's by doing the job that you're hired to do and not necessarily a direct correlation, but sometimes there is one. I, I would echo that. I mean, I think when you're about to start a new year or you're about to set your goals, whether you're mid year to mid year, that's the time to have the conversation. And a lot of times I would say, you know, I'm curious, as you said, I'm curious, how does what I do impact you and ultimately the organization? I don't see the connection. Help me with the connection. Yeah. And then most of them are very open to having that conversation and be more transparent. They don't realize that they haven't been transparent. Right. We usually think that people know and people get it. And there's those words on the wall, as we call it, that which now could be a website rather than a wall, a physical wall, depending on where you're working from. Yeah. But, you know, when we used to walk into the bank and maybe there'd be a sign with the values or what we believe in or something like that, that made it really clear. And we think people get it, but they really don't always see the direct link from that to them. Right. And the more I, I as an employee understand that link, the more engaged I am or I opt out. One of the two. Yeah. I, I go like, yeah, this is not my place. Yeah. And, and we, we tee up goals. And, and I found it to one of my past bosses. I won't name his name either. But, uh, you know, when we had our conversations, he never gave me goals. No. It was just like, Nancy, this is great. Um, you know, what's, Next, what do you want to talk about? And it was very much of me setting the agenda. So I set the agenda and yes. we for everything. And then I set up what I thought my goals were, kind of our old acronym of SMART goals. So yes. if your manager's not setting it, you set the table and have yeah. that conversation and get what you need from them. Because yeah. that seemed to work for me, at least that conversation between my me and my boss. 
I had the same situation. I think back in the day, early in my career, you knew you were doing okay if you kept getting promoted and new titles and more money. And oftentimes in banking, at least in the savings loan business, it was more about titles than it was about money. So I, I judged myself on what titles I got and, and how fast I progressed through the ranks. Right. But you're right. I think that sometimes when I talk to people who are early to mid-career now and they're, they get upset when they have rapid changes in leadership and they have to keep reselling themselves over and over. I, kept keep, I have to keep training them, educating them and all that. And I actually had a number of people do that at one period. I mentor in this one program, and it just seemed like that was the theme. And I said, um, okay, I have a solution for that. Are you ready? And I saw them like pick up the pencil and get ready to write. And I said, get really good at that. And, and the person just sat back and I started to say that to every person, get really good at that. And I said, because you will be doing that over and over in your career. You will have multiple leaders or you will need to sell yourself and your skills and, and your knowledge and everything that you do to somebody else. And I, as an owner of a business, have to sell myself every single day and do it in a way that's not smarmy or, or resentful. Right. And so get really good at that. The next time that somebody comes in, keep score with yourself on how well you do that. Right. And, and I think it all goes hand in hand with that performance conversation. You're right. It, we didn't get a lot of direction and chaos can be good for setting your own direction. Right. What it's not great for is when people do have rapid changes in leadership and the employee is doing a really great job and can't get that promotion because nobody's there in the room to sing their praises because nobody knows them well enough. That's where the downfall is. But other than that, there can be an upside too. I love that one because there has been a lot of change. And even recently, there's been a lot of layoffs, which means yeah. there's a lot of change in who you report to or who's still on your team and stuff. Yes. You come into a, your performance review with your brand new boss, and hopefully you've had some conversations with that person before. You think you're ready for that promotion. You're ready for that benefit. You're ready for whatever that thing is. Is there any tips to having that conversation with your new manager? to show them what you've been doing for the last few years and show them that you're ready for it without feeling entitled. Because I think coming into the workforce, we've got that entitlement piece. We don't want to be honest and sincere yeah. about it. Any tips yeah. for that kind of scenario? Yeah. If you've got a brand new boss, I think worst case scenario, you're walking in and your boss has just started their job in the last month. If they're there six months, hopefully you've had a chance to pick their brain and ask them questions my goal whenever I go into a new job or have a new boss is figure that person out as quickly as possible. I would let my boss know how I operated and find out as best I can how they operate and how their brain works and what kind of information do they want? And are they detailed? Are they very strategic, just high level? But I better have the detail just in case. How I want to get inside their head. If it's really recent and the person's really new, then I would ask them what would make it easy for them to understand what I've been working on all year. Because if I do, it comes back positive for me, the employee. And I think we get into this push-pull thing where it's like, I'm not going to educate one more person on what I do. Um, good luck with that. <laughs> because <laughs> it will not be, it will not be pretty for you. Ultimately, your job is to make it easy. Yeah. Their job should be the same to make it easy. If we all tried to make it easier for each other, I think we'd have 
a much easier world to live in. <laughs> so. Agreed. Agreed. And and I think you've kind of teed up where I think we should go next is we've kind of focused on the employee and asking the right questions and preparing. But let's put our manager hat on in this day of age of performance reviews. What are some of the best practices that managers should be doing in case they're not doing it? I know a lot of people listening might manage a team of one or five or even 10. Right. Probably a few things that they're not doing or not doing well. What would be some of those suggestions you might have? I think the hardest thing is keeping track of what people are doing all year long so that you remember it. So any way that you have of doing that, whether it's the old fashioned print something out and put it in a folder or file it online or make a note somewhere, I tend to not think to do that in the moment of the of, of the thing or you think you're going to do it later and it never gets done. Right. I think that if you at least have a quarterly performance-based um, or progress-based, I don't know what you want to call it, but a look at like, how are you doing? And a look ahead, any notes you take from that can be really good. I don't know if people's firewalls allow this, but typically I have something now that attaches to Zoom called Fathom Note Taker. And that thing takes notes and summarizes and does all kinds of things. So it takes the um, pressure off of having to write the notes and find the notes and file the notes and all that, um, that you could just file that recording and look at that overview. But whatever way you've got to periodically, monthly, quarterly, whatever, check in and take notes about what that person's been doing, plus and minus, and make sure they're getting the feedback along the way, uh, especially about the things that that need correcting, Um I think that we're all better off. The other thing I think is a really best practice is when we're giving feedback to people. One of the things that made a massive difference in the way I facilitated in the classroom was not only hearing what I was doing and whether I should keep or change it, but the impact of what I was doing. So for three years, I facilitated leadership development training full-time. And my boss would come in the room. And since nobody had ever done that before, initially, I would kind of stop breathing. Uh, like, oh, and then um, I got used to it. And she would, she was a very fast writer. And she would write down what happened. So you ask this question, she'd quote it. You ask this question, people leaned in, the impact was positive, you really got them engaged, keep doing that. That was as important to me as, and then You snapped quickly at John, (laughs) and do you remember that? And I, yes or no. And then, well, at that point, not only did John sort of back off, but I don't know if you realized it, but other people did too. And you had a hard time when you asked your next question, getting further engagement. Do you remember that? No, I don't, but okay. So assuming that's the case, what might you do differently next time? And so that conversation and that just, chronological order of what she saw me do and what worked and keep doing that more often. And then what didn't work and having the conversation, how might you handle that differently? That it wasn't in the moment of, you know, fear in the classroom. It was after, but soon after just up leveled my skills like nothing else ever did that impact of what, you know, when you do this, then the impact is this. You want to keep doing that or do you want to shift it? And then oftentimes when I was certifying other trainers later on, I would give them the feedback and I'd say, do you want to take it up a notch? I can give you a, I can give you a, here's how to get to the next level. And they would be like, oh yeah. And then I would tell them, okay, 
when that happened, it was good what you did. What you might do differently is ask this kind of question and see where it goes. And that then they would be like, okay, I'm going to try that next time. And that's how we build skills in people. That's how we stretch people. And that's how we kind of stretch ourselves too. And I think you just laid out as a, a great plan for constructive commenting feedback because yes. sometimes you've got criticism to share, but it needs to be constructive. But yes. the point you just also made is it's got to be in the moment or very recent, or you have enough details to jog that person's memory back to that particular incident. If it's a month later yes. to have a, a conversation that both sides benefit. Yes. You know, ultimately you want the person to land, to stay, to do well. I mean, most of us aren't looking to just go in and trash people's lives. Some, some might be, but we're few and far between and they get found. Um, one, one lifetime or the next, I usually say either, either now or later, karma comes back around. But I think that, you know, people really need to, they need to hear the feedback. They need to know what people are thinking. And the time for covering that up is gone. Right. And I've found that taking the emotion out of it, yes. just saying, I saw this, this happened, this happened, not love you are horrible at this and stop doing it. You know, you add emotion yeah. and it's not very constructive, but it needs to be yeah. a little more factual based so that both sides can have a conversation and the walls don't go up on either side. And I think that we have to, that we have to give grace to the person who just because we're taking the emotion out of it, it's going to land on them from an emotional place. Yeah. Let that happen. Um, you know, we used to try to stuff it and then people would just stuff it and stuff it and it didn't, it didn't end well but I think we don't want to stuff it. I think we want them to experience what they're going to experience. But going back to when Pam used to give me feedback and I heard a, I heard a statistic later on, I'm not sure where this comes from, but they say that for every piece of negative feedback, we humans need to hear five pieces of positive just to that. balance it out because we focus so much on the negative. Yeah. And I, I learned so much about what I should keep doing from Pam identifying and then you did this and this happened and it worked. Kudos, keep going. And then you did this and then this happened. Keep on doing that. So that helped me not only know the few things I needed to work on, but it gave me that balance of, oh, you know, most of us, we we get our performance appraisals and we look for the bad news. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm doing great. But where's the bad news? And I think we need to really keep in mind as leaders that balance factor of and the humanity um, and how it lands on people, the right. long-term impact of right. our words and deeds. Because I don't think anyone wants the negative, but they know that, that the negative being honest and it's constructive, that helps them grow. It does. You know, and likewise, if you're not getting the constructive, you're not getting an area to grow on, then as a worker, I ask for that. Yes. You know, I need one or two things to work on. Yeah. What those two be. So, you know, it's both sides, either the manager pointing it out, the most highest one that needs to be dealt with, or the worker asking more specifically. Yeah. So many leaders are afraid to tell us the hard truth. Yeah. And they're especially, let's put gender in this for a second. I find especially that many male bosses, I'm going to stereotype here, are afraid that the female is going to cry. Hmm. So what? Let her cry if that's the case. And I've also had that in reverse with men where I'm delivering a message and the guy gets his voice breaks and he's really afraid now to, to be, to be in that moment of emotion. 
it's okay. Have a box of tissues if you're in person and let people experience what they experience because when we get nervous about it, it makes them nervous and it makes it worse. Right. And now we're embarrassed and shamed and it doesn't have to be that way. Like we're human. If we cry about something, we cry about something and then we go on, you know, and figure out a way to live, live through that. Yeah. Because it may be the first time that they've been given some constructive criticism and they really haven't built the skills to hear it rather than just to react to it. So yeah, the managers, you do need to have to allow that grace to happen. Absolutely. You know, one thing that we haven't touched on, I'd love to know your opinion, and we've kind of talked more about the worker and the manager directly having all of the feedback, but a lot of organizations do 360s. Yes. Bring in peers commenting about them and other departments. What's your feeling about what is the appropriate amount of outside peer type and feedback versus way too much? I mean, I've done 360s and Everyone found out I did great reviews. So all of a sudden I had 30 of them and I'm like, okay, well now I'm yeah. not going to do as well to right. give you feedback. So where right. is the balance? Do you think on 360s, do they have value and at least how much and where's the line on that? I think they do have value. I always enjoyed hearing what was working for my, you know, the people that I was supporting because I was oftentimes in a support role and I wanted to know whether what I was doing was working or not working. And we have to be cognizant that people are, on the receiving end of a whole lot of these. If I can pick out for the average peer that I interact with, but it's not like my life's not dependent on us getting along and and getting work done together, I would want to give one or two strengths and any area that they might work on. And I do that very, I would always do that very carefully because I know that it's possible that their leader is going to take that verbatim and put it over there and they may or may not know it came from me what I'm hoping happens that the leader takes it all in and then pulls some key points of, of pluses and things to work on. Or, hey, I saw a theme there where, and here's some phrases that people said. Um, that's what I hope is on the receiving end. But I think for the people that my life depends, my work life depends on us doing it well together, I really want to make sure that I'm very careful with that feedback and that I give praise where praise is warranted. And I give formative, you know, constructive feedback where it's due. But going back to Pam, when I went to complain about how another trainer had hogged all my time and I didn't have time to cover my content, she said, well, go tell her about it. And I said, uh, no, I don't, I don't know. So you, you tell. And uh, Pam made it very clear that peers were to give each other feedback in the moment too. Like that, hey, let's sit down and talk about this. When you go 40 minutes and I only had 20 to start with and you just took 15 of my 20, I can't cover what we've committed to cover together. So how might we work together? What what do you want to do so that, you know, when your time's up, do I give you a signal? Do I give you a five minute warning? What what are we going to do here? Exactly. Um, I and didn't I know how to give, do that at the time. And, and where you're teeing up is you're giving them opportunities as peers to have those constructive yes. conversations that later they'll eventually have as a manager but right. in a probably true. little less risky type of an opportunity right yeah. now. Yes. And we're holding one another accountable. You know, a lot of times we try to recreate that family dynamic at work, which I'm soundly against by the way, but I feel like you were running to mom or dad or, or whatever adult was in our life 
Um, and sometimes running and ratting, like, I don't like what she did. And I want you to tell her, I don't want to tell her. And, you know, it's a very child parent kind of relationship. And that's not really what we want to foster in the workplace to begin with. We want to, where everybody's got equity and people are equally able to do what they're there to do. Yeah. Or if it is a family business, because I know some of our some are. banks are family businesses. I've worked for a company where it was mostly family, yeah. but they didn't bring the family drama into the workplace. Everyone was called by their first names. It was referred to by your job. It was never my daughter, my wife, my whatever. Right. It was, you know, so-and-so go ask them if they'll write this. And it was just I actually didn't know that they were uh, related for a first couple of months. So which that- is probably a really good well, in some ways, probably a really good thing. I did one place I worked, someone sat me down earlier on and they're like, "Okay, look. A lot of people in here are related to one another or they might be living together, but you wouldn't know it because their last names are not the same and be very wary that people in this department, this group, often one knows the other knows the other." So yeah. you're going to want to factor that in. <laughs> and exactly. I was like, okay, I don't think I'm a gossiper anymore because this is later in my career. I don't think I'm a gossiper anymore, but I'll fa- I will factor that in. Thank you very much. I'll be very careful. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. this has been a great conversation and I think we've hit on many different things. Let's see if we can box it up. Can you kind of summarize what are the key things that I as a worker or I as a manager really should do to have that productive conversation about someone's performance. Yeah. I think from a very practical aspect, keep records somehow, somewhere that you can go back and access easily in a perfect world. Otherwise, go back and look at your calendar and see what was really going on. That's that's the um, Laurie method of when I would start pulling all my things together. But be prepared for it. Get And the more you prepare during the year, the easier it is at your end versus oh my gosh, we have to reconstruct the whole year. So be ready. Normalize those conversations throughout the year so that it's not one big, massive, ugly conversation. I think that something like 90% of leaders dread the performance evaluation. So it's not just the people receiving it, it's the people doing it as well. And it does occupy large amounts of time. So practically get ready for it, have your data together. And then just think about the tone of what you want to set. And this is on either end of it. And remain curious on both ends. Remain curious. Ask the questions. Find out what people are thinking. And ultimately, find out how you're being talked about in performance and promotional kinds of conversations so that you can shore up any areas where you might not have the skills or experience or education, if that's an issue that you get going on that if indeed you want to make a next step up that up is not the only way it's you know you can you can live very happily in a lateral moves and staying in one job and being the expert everybody's got a different path absolutely sharing kind of what your vision of where your career track is in your mind Mm -hmm. with the manager is always a good part of that conversation to have too yes Yes. Well, I think this has been great. It's been kind of nice to kind of remember back in our history of all the jobs we've had, but also to think about today being a different part of, you know, the workforce is much different today. And the conversations we have today are different, but I think more important because they're more people oriented and people are really looking to be part of a great company. They are. 
They are. We want to go to work and feel good about it. We don't want to like have the Sunday scaries, as I've heard them called, um, when we're getting ready to think about the next work week that we're going into on Monday. Agreed. I don't want to do that. Agreed. Yeah. So uh, thank you. Thank you for this conversation. It was a pleasure to talk about it. One last question. If any of the listeners want to connect with you, either to talk more about leadership skill building or supporting their workforce, how would you suggest they do that? The easiest way is drop me an email. So Laurie, L-A-U-R-I-E at, and then aligned at work spelled out A-L-I-G-N-E-D-A-T-W-O-R-K.com. Laurie at aligned at work.com. And the way we met one another was on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is my go-to place. I have um, LinkedIn lives. We have a newsletter called the wake up call on LinkedIn look up Lori Battaglia. And on that newsletter, we did one at mid-year and then we took it up a notch for year end and talked about more of the strategy behind it. So the mid-year one is uh, about tactics for performance appraisals. And then the year end one is here's other stuff you want to think about, much of which we covered today. Fabulous. Fabulous. And we'll put all of those contact details right on our podcast page. So perfect. So thank you again for joining us. Uh, To our listeners, thank you again for tuning in. If you haven't already, make sure to check out all of our other episodes and make sure you subscribe. That way you're the first to know when a new episode like this one drops. We're always looking for suggestions on what to cover. So if you've got something in mind, like to be a guest on our podcast, please let us know by emailing us at bankingoutloud at pcbb.com. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.